Amen. Amen. Now, now I get, when I walk back there, I thought you prayed in the back, you just gave Red Bulls to your drummer. <laughs> awesome. You know, when I, after I had my three kids and I thought that I was uh, going to just be this incredible father that knew it all and I read, uh, I read the magazines on parenting and I thought, okay, this will be an easy deal because I've read the books. And uh, so I thought, you know, there's always a balance between showing love and teaching, instructing God's ways, and a balance between disciplining them. And uh, they, my three sons and their lovely wives, gave me ten grandchildren. And uh, so uh, hopefully the many years had made me wiser. There was a lot less reasons that I would uh, discipline my grandchildren, and by the way, my kids have all given me permission to discipline spank my grandchildren. Uh, <laughs> they're a lot older now, so, but I'll never forget the, the one grandchild. Uh, my, she's not here. Uh, she was at the next first service, but she didn't hear the story. I was kind of glad, but her name is Maeve, and she's a curly red-haired gal, and she had just kind of the movie Brave had came out. And if you remember the movie Brave with the little bow and arrow, and so my wife and I bravely bought her a bow and arrow. And uh, it uh, had a little dart on it, and you could lick it and stick it, and she had no idea. She'd pull back the thing and let it go, and the arrow would just fall down like this. And so I said, now listen, before we really teach you how to do this, you have got to know and understand you do not point this at your sibling's face. You don't point it at people's face. It's just like getting to know real weapons. And so she is, uh, okay. <clears throat> and so the one time that she decided to pull back as far as she could, have it hook and let it fly, she was about a foot and a half from my forehead and shot me right in the forehead. <clears throat> My reaction was very quick and calculated. She was being spanked before the arrow flew to the ground and I spanked her and I will never forget her look and what she said to me. How could a person do that to me who has said he loved me in the past? She was absolutely blown away that this person that said she loved her would actually discipline her. It blew her away, and it, I tried not to laugh. But then I thought about us. How many of you and I say the same thing to God? How could you, a person that said he loved me in the past, ever do such a thing to me? This terrible pain and horrible sorrow and the people I know and these losses if you really are a God of love. You ever thought that? You know, we are reading again, and we are, I, I'm sure you guys should have memorized 1 Peter 1, 3 through 8 by now, because it's read every week so far. Uh, I want to read it again, because we are going to pick up from here. And, uh, and then I want to comment uh, on why we have spent the time we have spent in this passage. And not only this passage, but all the uh, whole canon of Scripture that ties itself together. 1 Peter 1, 3-8 said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the testing, tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you've not seen him, you've loved him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him and you rejoice with joy that is expressible and filled with glory. Also in James 1, 2 through 4 and 12 says, Count it all joy, brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds. If you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and the stead let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. For blessed is the man who remains steadfast and under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Second Corinthians goes on also and says, I am acting with great boldness towards you. I have great pride in you, and I've been filled with comfort in our affliction, and I am overflowing with joy. Overflowing with joy. I labeled this thing, how do they do it? How do they do it? Have you ever been around people that you look at what they're going through, and you look at the burden and the heaviness that they carry, and you, you walk away and think, I couldn't do it. How do they do it? I feel like sometimes because we've spent so much time here and I want to encourage you, my greatest joy and desire as we continue through telling you and preaching you and being a part of what you're learning is this. I feel in some dim way that you and I, we hear these verses and we hear this, this story of suffering and trials and tribulations on this planet and that somehow we're to have this incredible joy that somehow comes out uh, in this. And yet I feel in some ways you're like the guy that Jesus healed. And he says, now what do you see? And he says, I see men as trees walking. I wonder if that's where you are right now and where I am right now. We see men as trees walking. We see vaguely. But you remember, again, he spits in his hands and he rubs his eyes and he says, now what do you see? And he says, I see all men clearly. I see men clearly now. I pray by the time that we're done with this study that you yourselves are able to go ahead and say, God, I am foggy yet. I'm somehow not grasping how to go ahead and take this into my soul, into my life and my experience, and how to somehow bring it out that I might see and have this overwhelming joy. It says, that word says, it just keeps spilling off of you. You've heard the testimonies that have been given by lots of your friends and lots of people. You've heard the testimonies that were given up here of the, the people, Ron Baker and Pastor Steve Balsley, and you heard them say what they said, and you're probably leaving there with a little touch. If you're not touched, I'm not sure you're alive, but touched in your heart. How do they do it? I ask a man to give a testimony today for you. This man, for those of you that don't know him, if you're old enough, uh, you know him because he was a huge part of Rimrock. 
He no longer can attend Rimrock because he cannot come here because of the possibility of getting uh, infectious disease. But I've asked him to share his story. If you would join me, uh, I think it'll bless you as well. I'm Jim Mortimer, and I just have a little few comments I'd like to make. Three points, really. Um, I'll start by saying that three years ago, I was reading, uh, rereading uh, uh, the uh, famous novel Moby Dick, and in that novel, the author used a phrase, uh, the normal vicissitudes of life. I was curious about that because vicissitudes was not a part of my vocabulary. So I looked it up, and the meaning of vicissitudes was a sudden uh, change in one's circumstances. Shortly after having read that and looked up that and added that word to my vocabulary, I was at the Mayo Clinic for a routine examination. At that time, I was uh, saddened to learn that I was diagnosed with an incurable form of cancer and, was and needed to have a bone marrow transplant scheduled as soon as possible. I'm going to fast forward my story one year from there and tell you that my wife Letty, who had been a very healthy person through her life, uh, was suddenly diagnosed with uh, stage four ovarian cancer. After two major operations at the Mayo Clinic, she was given just weeks to live. So those two uh, examples would be examples of vicissitudes, sudden changes in one's circumstances. The second point I would like to make is uh, there's an enormous power in prayer. And I can't thank the Rimrak family more for the the faithful prayers uh, that you as a church family and many, many other people in the, in the city as well as around the nation and certain places around the world have upheld Letty and me in prayer. Uh, the uh, feeling of being uh, supported and upheld in prayer is, uh, is an enormous, wonderful feeling. Now, in addition to the feeling of being upheld uh, through some rather dark times, uh, we just returned from the Mayo Clinic recently where Letty had survived uh, health, uh, with no evidence of the cancer uh, five years after the initial diagnosis. The uh, Mayo Clinic uh, head of the Department of uh, Oncology that we were dealing with said, um, you know, this is a miracle. We uh, said, yes, it is. And it's an answer to the prayers of many, many people. So the, the second point I would like to make in this short discussion is that um, th there is a great power in prayer. And, uh, and I also want to thank everyone who has been uh, faithful to bring our needs and our concern uh, before God.
The third part is throughout this uh, experience, Letty and I have always prayed that um, we uh, wanted God's will to be done, but we've never lost hope. And I would encourage uh, anyone going through dark times to remember that um, not, not to lose hope. So uh, three things. One, there's definitely the vicissitudes do occur in life. Second is there's enormous power in prayer. And third, we want God's will to be done because he's all-knowing, but not to lose hope. There's a consistency in the people that you have heard testimony and people that you know that have given testimony. Uh, Jim would agree with this. Uh, Letty seems to have defied all odds. Jim is still terminal with cancer and still living. For some reason, he feels that uh, he's here for a period longer. Could be a week, could be a while. But if you remember the comments that were made, if you remember Pastor Steve when he said that if, if it is good, if it is best for me to remain, then I will remain. If it is best for me to die, then I will die. And all of them had this hope that is incredible it, in terms of that, in that none of the three people and the four people you have heard live a life that is earthbound. They're not living for this land. They're living for another land. If God tarries and brings us back early, fine. But if not, then there's something for us to do, and this is what I want to challenge you with here, is that uh, there are other testimonies that you have heard from people that go through exactly the same type of things, and when you're around these people, you're left with kind of a toxic cancer around yourself. They're bitter, they're complaining, they're always murmuring, they're always the center of attention, and they're always why, 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 and I understand the pain, and I understand some of the suffering that's there for them. But we have two ways, it says in 2 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians chapter 7, there's two ways that we have of looking at issues and the vicissitudes of life that come upon you. And by the way, these vicissitudes and these trials are not just cancer. They're not just physical ailments. Some of them are the darkness of just a loss of somebody you love. Somebody, you might be in the midst of a relationship or a divorce or a separation. There might be it's something to your name, and your name has been splattered all over. It can be this, this heavy, heavy emotional pain of depression or panic or any of the despairing emotions that are here, there. The word in first, uh, or in James, when it says you count this, these various trials, is a multicolored, it's taken from like a marble. There's just so many different little marbles, and that means everything fits in this thing. What you are going through fits you. What you are going through fits you. And it says that the, that, that the godly sorrow, the godly response, the godly sorrow leads to repentance and a changed heart, as you saw in the people you see. They had an impact. People are around them and they're impacted. When Levi did the taping of this, he texted me back, and I cannot quote it verbatim. I would love to have, but he texted me back and he said, 
Wow. Wow. The kindness and encouragement of a man I've never seen like this before. Those of you that have been around him know when you left, why do you leave feeling so well when he's the one that's in the pain? I ask you that your lenses might be cleared as we go through, that you would be those that would take on these sufferings and these pains, and that you would be the ones that would therefore leave people with somehow a joy that was not there before they had contact with you. There's a way to accept it, and there's a way to grumble and complain against it. I've spent an awful lot of time, probably the last six years, um, I've, I've spent a lot, 40-some years reading about these authors, but somehow Solomon and Job grabbed my heart for the last six, seven years, and I've just been reading and reading. And, and I find in there people that went through and experienced pretty much everything that there is in life. Solomon said, there's nothing new under the sun. You think there is, but there's not. And they give us solutions. And listen to the man Job as he walked through the suffering. By the way, Job did complain to God. David did complain. Psalm 55, to God. It's okay to welcome people into your life to be able to pray for you, as Jim said, because prayer is very, very important. Sometimes not what you think you need to be prayed for, but somehow these people that complained, they are left with something that I encourage you that you and I can be left with. This is not out of reach. Listen to these. But I call to God and the Lord, he will save me. Evening and morning and at noon, I'm uttering my complaint and moan before him. He does hear my voice. I was at ease, but he shattered me. He's grasped me by the neck and shook me to pieces. He's also set me up as his target practice. But even now, behold, my witness is in heaven doing whatever he wills, and my advocate is on high and sits on high. As for me, I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will take his stand on this earth, and even after my skin has been destroyed, yet from my flesh I shall see and praise God. When he acts on the left, I cannot behold him. He turns on the right, and I cannot see him. But he knows the way I take. When he's tried me, I shall come forth as gold, my foot is held fast to his path. I have kept his way and not turned aside. I have not departed from the command of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Though he slay me, I will follow him. I have learned to be content in all things. That means that being content is not natural. You have to learn being content. The word literally means that you're initiated into contentment, taken from Philippians. So what is it we do? 
What is it? How, how can we do this? What can we offer that will somehow allow you and me to stand in that place? Because I promise you this today, you can mark it, you will lose everything in this life. Everything. And if you're earthbound, you are going to be miserable. And I would hand out a bunch of helmets and say, put on your crash helmets for you're headed for a hellish crash. When we finish here, there's a song you're going to hear, and I just really, really ask you to listen to the words there. First, I'd say hold all things loosely. What spoils life's pleasures is trying to get out of things more than they can deliver you. They can't deliver you, and you try to get too much out of them, you can't. You're going to have trials, and you're going to have tribulations. You've got, as Nick said last week, you've got your past faithfulness of God that you need to pay attention to. And I would say this, some of you might need to go back 2,000 years in order to grab it because you've been so blinded by the goodness of God and his faithfulness, but I welcome you to come with me for a minute back 2,000 years. As he hung on that cross and said, I will demonstrate my life and my love for you, that no greater love has a man for somebody if he, unless he's laid down his life. I want you to know that, picture that, him standing there and his bleeding to death with the mockery going on in his life and he's standing there and the people are mocking him and making comments. We get a few of the comments that people recorded. Oh, you know, he's God, let him deliver himself. But I want you to understand something. Going back to Isaiah 53 when he was there and he took on that, th- that cross and there was a comment made in Isaiah 53, just a little teeny comment. I want you to grab this. At that day when they grabbed the sword, he said, put your sword away. Man is not delivered by that. Do you know that there were thousands upon thousands of angels that drew their swords to cut him down and to slice up everybody that was criticizing this son? In Isaiah 53, he commands these angels to stay their stand because, he says, because of his offspring that he saw that you and me that would come. And he said, I love you. You might have to go back to remember that, but remember it and remember it well. Most of you in here do not know my story. I have purposely not shared the great detail it. I feel sometimes we as a church body are shiny, and it's not okay to be not okay. So we wear our faces, we have our hellish wars and fights coming up the hill, we've struggled all week and we come in here and we clean up and shower up and wash up, we come in here and we put this smile on our face. Now I'm not asking you to be gloomy and all down, but I'm asking you to be honest as people. If you were to look around you right now, I can tell you by my experience you got to remember, I've counseled people for 40 years. I've got a lot of your stories. If you knew half the stories of the pain of the people sitting next to you, 
if you knew you're not alone. If you knew the aches and the deep pains that our body of people have, you could welcome those into your heart and experience that. In 1979, 40 years ago, I was going along with what I thought was a pretty happy, skippy, laughing life. And something happened to me at that time. Something that I was not prepared for. I had no idea what it could be and what it was going to happen. I was just simply going along. Something happened earlier that triggered at least a taste of it. I had uh, been playing professional baseball. I was on the top of my game and something happened to my shoulder and they said, you're gonna need to go in and have a surgery. So I went into the top physicians, the, the people in California that invented the artificial hip and the artificial knee and they were gonna fix me. And so going in, uh, they gave me an anesthetic to put me out and they gave me something to relax me and I remember Whatever they gave me did not relax me. Whatever they gave me sent me through the ceiling, and I literally came out of my mind. Thank God that the anesthetic knocked me out, uh, and I'll explain that later. I come out of surgery. I'm not at all thinking about what kind of surgery it was, how successful was it, God, will I be able to play so long. I came out of there, and all I remember is saying, what was that? that attacked me. Years or months went by and Nancy and I were on an airplane coming back from a marriage conference and uh, we're just flying back after getting lots of information about being husbands and wives and whatever that little teeny beast was, the little teeny hint of that beast, whatever it was, it came back in full blast when I was on that airplane and it overtook me. I had never tasted or seen anything like it in my whole life. I'd had lots of physical pain. I had done some things that were supposed to be some of the highest pain things, and I didn't like the pain things, but I could relate to them. I knew what they were. This was nothing like it. I was out of my mind. I may not have been crazy, but crazy was all over it. All I remembered doing is something just went over me, so overwhelming. I didn't know what it was. I'd never heard anything it was. It was bigger than me, and I had lost my mind. It was what I would call a total, full mental breakdown. I found out later on I was in what was called an acute anxiety attack for 10 straight days. It would not leave. Vomited up my pain from the pain of the emotional pain. Lost 35 pounds in 10 days, and I still didn't know what it was. I went in the bathroom of that airplane. I looked for any way I could to kill myself in that airplane. I had no idea of what was going on. The long and short of it is I came back. A few of you in here saw me. They had no idea what it was. They shipped me off on another plane. And I went down to somehow figure out what in the world had happened. What was this? I had a relief. 
from about seven to eight at night till about six in the morning where I would sleep. Then I'd wake up in total, complete panic again and throwing up. Nothing left to eat, nothing left to throw up. I was out of my mind. Everything I thought I believed was out of my mind. All I looked for was death. There was a one little hint that gave me life in that 10 days. There was a man that literally uh, helped train me later on, but he was a guy that used to dismantle bombs and he knew what it was I had. He's the first person I ever heard tell me I'd never heard of a word before. Now today it's so rampant, it's amazing, but I'd never heard of an acute anxiety attack. And I barely could speak and said, did you have this? Oh, yeah. You know what gave me hope? He was out of it. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ and the God of all comfort who comforted him in his tribulation so that he might comfort me with the comfort that he himself had received from God. And when I began to go through some of this stuff and God began to reorganize my mind and 10 days later I saw a brief relief of what this was. And I won't go into the details today of the story of what happened, but I can tell you briefly that there was something that God had told me, and he said, Bill, I'm no longer going to use you in baseball anymore. I'm going to put you into something that's going to be able to change more lives than you did in baseball by what you went through so that you might be able to comfort others with the comfort that you received. So... What I talked about two weeks ago or three weeks ago, I share with you, there were three basic things that I shared as what anchors my soul to this piece. It is the anchor of my soul. One, I came out of there knowing one thing, Bill Ewing was not in charge. I thought I was in charge of my life. Not only did I find out I wasn't, I never was. There was a God that lived in the heavens and he sat on the thrones. He doesn't get up and march around. He's sitting on the throne. He's not all upset. He's saying, my plans are not going to be thwarted. He is a sovereign God in my life. He's sovereign in yours whether you believe it or not. This God that we worship is in charge of this show. Period. You are not. If you don't know that, you will find it out. I hope it's not too late. Or I hope you're not like the world that creates a bitter sorrow. Second thing is this God was crazy in love with me. I never knew why because I knew me. And I wouldn't love me. But he is in love with me. That anchors my soul to the fact that everything he does is good and everything he does is right and there's nothing that's happened that isn't somehow passing through this over-loving kindness of this God. I don't doubt everything in your life and my life and our lives is because he loves us. 
But the last thing that I feel is so important for us to realize and for you to realize is this. You are not going to get through with this. You're not going to be that container and that vessel that can take that pain and that sorrow and now turn it around and be a comfort for other people that says, in that you comfort, your joy will be overflowing and fill out. I cannot tell you the joy that's been in my life and being able to come alongside people and understand and weep with people but see them joy. That joy is greater than any joy in hitting a grand slam like happened last night at the World Series. It feels good, but it's nothing like it. It pales for it. So the last thing is this. You were meant for another home. God has promised something that I, we talked about is that you have a future. God's going to come back and he's going to redeem all these things. And if you can live knowing that, then anything that comes in my life is that you ain't so bad. You ain't so bad. Because there's a day that our Redeemer lives and he's going to come and he's going to restore everything that you've lost. He's going to restore your emotions to personal, personal uh, design Everything you have, if you can begin to put these three things in practice and realize that you're going to see some freedom, and I promise you, you will be used by God to comfort other people with the comfort that you yourselves have received from God. And now you'll be able to see not just dim trees as men, but you'll see true men. You'll see them the way they are. The singers come up here as we close. I'm going to read a verse that came to me at this time in my life. And then there's going to be the song I want you to listen to. This is taken from 2 Corinthians 4, and it says, For God who said light shall shine out of darkness is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge and the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the surpassing greatness, the, the power may be of God and not from ourselves. We are afflicted in every way, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but we're not despairing. We're persecuted, but we're not forsaken. We're struck down, but we're not destroyed. Always caring about in the body the dying of Jesus, that the life of Jesus also will be manifested in our bodies. We who live are constantly being delivered over to death and pain for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also can be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death, it works in us, but life is going to work in you. But having the same spirit of faith according to what is written, that I believe, therefore I'm speaking to you, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise Jesus, who had also raised Jesus will present with you, present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. So therefore we do not lose heart. For though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For moment, this momentary slight affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. Amen.